Hey there, do you write crime fiction or mystery or anything that has to do with law enforcement, but have ever wondered how accurate what you put into your story is? Or even if you don't write it as a genre, do you have a story that might have a detective or have any kind of criminal or law proceeding in it? Or do you plan to do that at some point? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then today's episode of the podcast is for you. I am interviewing Adam Richardson, who is a career detective uh, in California, but he also helps authors, specifically those who write crime fiction, to really understand and know the answers to what is realistic about different criminal proceedings and um, you know the way things are done in the law enforcement agency. So this is a really fascinating interview, and if you ever have or think you ever might write anything that intersects with anything to do with our you know, current day law enforcement, then I think you're going to find a lot of value. He has a lot of really interesting things to say, and like I said, he's a real-world detective who has actually worked on a lot of gritty crime cases. So stay tuned, listen to the interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hi there. Do you want to write fiction that readers gush about? but you can't figure out how to fill in the beginning, middle, or end of your story, I can help with that. Do you struggle to flesh out character or plot or to stick with your story long enough to finish it? I can help with that. Once your book is written, are you totally clueless about marketing? Do you find yourself Googling how to market a book or how to make money on fiction? I can help with that. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. You know you're meant to write fiction, but you can't seem to nail down the skills or processes that make it simple and repeatable, not to mention fun. So you wait around for the muse to show up, try to force your story into a template or outline, or take months, if not years, to discover your story. Plot twist, there's a better way. Hi, I'm Liesl, USA Today bestselling author, story psychologist, writing craft geek, Christian, and story clarity coach. After 10 years of trying to master fiction using the old industry standard writing advice, I still felt lost. I finally learned what fictional storytelling and the human template are really about. Humanity, emotional connection, and serving our readers by giving them relief through vicarious experience. Imagine learning how to flesh out your characters, plot, world, and theme with such definition and clarity that every story you ever write lands with readers and makes people go, wow, now there's an author. Imagine knowing how to drill down to the heart of your story to learn what it's really about and tell the unique story that only you can tell so that you can get more readers, more downloads, more royalties, and of course, more fiction writing success. This is the podcast for you. We are prolific authors. All right. Welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. We are here today with Adam Richardson, and I'm very excited to have Adam on the podcast because I have actually listened to his podcast for quite some time. Um, he is not only a crime writer, but he is a former detective, and he, he does a great service to you know, crime and mystery authors because he is able to tell us um, what is reality when it comes to kind of the logistics of the um, you know, the law and, and sort of the criminal side of things. So how are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us, you know, who you are and, and what you write and what you do. So my name is Adam Richardson, and I'm host of the Writers Detective Bureau podcast. And uh, I got into this back in 2015 as a blogger, really, uh, mm -hmm. of being able to help crime fiction writers with kind of the cop stuff. Um, right. And then that turned into a podcast. And 
now I teach online courses and all that other kind of stuff. And yeah. I do have a nonfiction book in the works. It's been in the works for a couple of years now, um, but I really need, like most of your listeners probably need to put more time uh, in the writing seat rather than listening to podcasts and doing all the <laughs> other fun stuff that we call research, but it's really procrastinating. Right, right. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So what made you decide to start helping you know other authors with this side of things? Uh, it, I blame it on the wine. Um, no, I, <laughs> so I was, uh, I'm in, in Southern California. And so, uh, some friends of ours, so my wife and I, uh, have some friends that are in the, um, entertainment industry. And so we did this wine tasting trip. And, um, while we were wine tasting, one of the guys on the trip was a screenwriter. And he asked me this question about a story he's writing that involved a police detective. I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh yeah, here's the answer to your question. Right. And then once the wine wore off the next day, I thought, aha, I bet there are a lot of other writers. It, it, at the time it was just screenwriters, but screenwriters and authors that have questions about law enforcement and how, you know, how cops do things, how prosecutors do things, how the whole system works. Um, and then, so that was really what started the blog, but that led, that led me to really learning about the craft of storytelling. Um, the same kind of things that authors and screenwriters are doing. So it was really um, not just helping with the reality of stuff, but really being able to understand what writers were trying to get out of the cops that they talked to because, mm -hmm. you know, you go on a, a ride along or you sit through a Citizens Academy class or something and you, know, you don't really know how to ask the question because you're trying to deal with a plot point or some progressive complication right. or how something's happening in a story. And so I really took it upon myself to kind of learn the dialogue that the writers are going, you know, are, are trying to not the dialogue in the story, but like what what the writers are trying to accomplish when they're talking to cops for their story, doing their uh -huh. research and kind of try to figure out how that works and reverse engineer that process. And so that's what's led to uh, what I'm doing today. And I have about 18 months left in my career before I retire. And from there, I'm definitely going to be joining um, the fiction writing world as well. So good, I'm good. I'm. I see just how daunting a task it is to put books together. <laughs> and uh, my hat is off to everyone who even attempts it because um, it is way more work than anyone knows until, as you well know, <laughs> until yeah. they actually try to do it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that actually forays well into um, kind of my next question. So, I, well, I was going to ask if you if you've done any crime writing yet on your own, any uh, fiction writing. I mean, I've done two treatments uh for story ideas that i have one okay. one's actually a political thriller not a crime uh, not exactly right. a, a, a criminal thing um but then i do have two other ideas for series um that yeah we'll see where that leads to <laughs> that's fun that's fun i'm excited for you so um you know as someone who you were kind of talked to us about your career you were a detective you were a cop for a long time so you probably have kind of seen it all in terms of that you, side of things <laughs> yeah when you think you've seen it all it means you haven't uh that's when you're yeah. gonna get surprised and something new is gonna come down the pike um but yeah no i've been very lucky um having had a variety of, of investigative assignments uh, i was promoted to detective very early in my career and then i got to work in some pretty um special assignments um so i have had i, I wouldn't say i'm necessarily like the uh most 
dialed in like Bosch kind of homicide investigator by <laughs> any means, but I have been in so many different kinds of investigations in so many different roles uh, that I have a pretty good handle on a lot of different types of investigations. So not just, I mean, I've certainly, I was, uh, I worked in a major crimes unit that included sexual assault, robbery and homicide. So I worked a lot of mm -hmm. those cases worked um, fraud cases, worked uh, counterterrorism cases, narcotics cases, undercover stuff, protection details, and not a typical career path, but I've had, it's almost been perfect to set me up for being able to help writers because right. if you can dream up the scenario, there's a pretty good chance uh, that I've either worked it or I can tell you that it is a little unrealistic or yeah. if, or if it isn't something that I, I have done personally, I certainly know the people that do it for real in real life and can probably help with, uh, answering that question. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. And so when, I mean, I kind of want to give people an idea of how it works uh, what kinds of questions do you often get asked by writers? What are they looking for from you? Um, so the podcast that I have is literally just answering questions that writers have. Right. So it it can be um, anything from how would my character accomplish this to, um, you know, what department, what would this fictional department look like? I mean, it, it, there's a million questions and, and right. I do get a lot of the repeat ones. The ones that I see a lot are ones where the author to try to keep the story interesting has created a task force of some sort right mm -hmm. where they're pairing a local cop with either another agency of some sort it could be a fed and then what they in the effort to try to build some sort of um conflict i guess between the characters and stuff right. and a lot of times i mean that does happen in real life the majority of the cases are you show up you get assigned a case and you work it and you know, it's not necessarily a task force thing or when there is a task force like the FBI is involved. It's been my experience and this differs by agency, but it's been my experience that FBI has been nothing but supportive. They come in with all their mm -hmm. tech. They pay for stuff as far as like we can't afford to do X, Y or Z in an investigation. The feds are like, hey, we've got the funding. That's no problem. We'll take care of that for you. Um, there are some agencies out there that have kind of more animosity with the FBI. And that usually is when they're a larger agency and they have their own resources. So they feel like uh, we don't need your tech. We don't need your money. We don't need your help. Leave us alone. Right. Um, but working for a not so big agency, um, they have been absolutely wonderful. Um, and so when I see that in writing, a lot of it is, I mean, to be honest, writing criminal procedure and trying to make it realistic, if you have not been in or around that career uh, is very daunting, right? We already, yeah. as writers, we have, we're worried about character, story arc, we're worried about realistic dialogue, all those things. And now all of a sudden we add this additional set of rules on top called criminal justice, criminal procedure, criminal investigation, whatever you want to call it. Uh -huh. It's like, how am I supposed to win if I don't know all this stuff, right? So right. Uh, trying to demystify that is really what my whole goal has been. Um, and sometimes the questions are super basic uh, that are very easy to answer. And sometimes it is very situational where they've kind of painted themselves into this corner. And then it's kind of a way, honestly, the best way to figure out the way to um create a believable story is to start with the end in mind. And right. I know the, I don't want to call them pantsers, we'll call them discovery writers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hard to do sometimes. Um, but once you finish that first draft and you figured out where your characters are leading your adventure, um, okay. once you start, if you aren't starting with the end in mind, get to the end and then try to reverse engineer um, mm -hmm. 
your way to it kind of like working a puzzle maze you know you start at the center kind of cheating if you will right and working your way back right. to the start that tends to be the easiest way to create a believable through line um and i've worked with television writers rooms and um movie directors that are also that wrote the screenplay and stuff like that and we always start with the end and work our way back to the beginning rather than um ending up in this well what if this happened or what if this happened it's like let's start with what actually how it ends and then we can work our way back and not have to deal with all the what ifs right right yeah and that's excellent advice so from a practical standpoint like if you have someone who's writing crime would you say they need to figure out like you said the story the ending and everything and then at that point go back and put in the logistics of the criminal investigation uh, having a basic understanding of the criminal investigation of how they work is is key for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying you need to have spent any kind of time in law enforcement or anything, but uh, it would be really helpful if you take an intro to administration of justice class at the local community college, or you mm -hmm. go to a citizen's academy at your local police department, um, or go for a ride along um, if you're so inclined. I know that might be outside of the adventure zone for some <laughs> some writers. Um, but, you know, just kind of uh, trying to develop contacts uh, that will, that you can ask questions of. Um, of course, that's what I'm here for as well. But, um, right. uh, you know, getting that basic understanding of, okay, we start with a crime has happened and an investigation is literally, we're looking backward on our timeline and trying to piece those investigative questions together of what evidence points us to uh, explaining what happened. And then once we know what happened and who's responsible for it, then we, you know, we get a search warrant, get an arrest warrant, we make the arrest, and then we go forward with the prosecution and understanding that whole process, I think is really key. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you could learn all that stuff in an afternoon with, you know, Wikipedia or uh, YouTube or something <laughs> like that, for sure. But right. uh, yeah, just understanding that basic process will really help with um, knowing what your characters are going to do and what their intention what their intentions are when they're in these scenes right so when we yeah. have that interview and interrogation scene and also understanding the tropes to a certain example but to a certain extent one example is the interrogation scene right in right. reality i'm trying to get admissions i'm trying to get statements and a lot of times this can be a several hour long thing and if you try to make that a several hour long scene in your book your editor is going to kill you because you know right. you're bogging <laughs> down the story and all this kind of stuff um and it's kind of an accepted I don't want to call it a trope. It is a trope, but it's kind of an accepted thing as readers. We're like, oh, when we get to the investigation scene, this is where the detective kind of lays out for the reader all the exposition of this is what you did and this is what happened. Like, we've seen it time and time and time again. That's not really what happens. Um, right. But but the best piece of advice I can give you is story comes first over uh, realism. Nobody nobody goes to the police department and buys you know police reports to read them for fun. Right. right. <laughs> so they go to the bookstore or they go to the library. Um, so you have to keep that story moving. You have to keep it interesting. And if it is at the expense of some realism, that's totally fine. You just can't, you know, the genre itself doesn't allow for it to suspend too much disbelief. You know, okay. uh, it's one thing if it's a fantasy, but when you're right. along for a realism ride, uh, you can't just have it completely depart from reality where everyone's like, the bad guy would have been arrested at this point. You can't just let him go or you can't just ignore yeah. it, you know? So understanding those basic things I think is key. And that really feeds into uh, the next question I was going to ask is that, you know, why is it important to get these 
at least some of the details right, but I mean, you kind of answered it, that, that this audience expects a certain amount of realism. Um, are there other reasons you think can think of to uh, also? To, to keep your, uh, your, your review stars up on Amazon <laughs> and uh, to not have an inbox full of angry readers. Um, yeah. the, the, other, the other one that, uh, especially if you're going for the realism thing, um, just doing your very, if you write about American law enforcement where any kind of gun is involved, just mm -hmm. do the very basic research. I'm not a big gun guy, um, but just knowing basic things like, um, yeah, the revolver safety, you know, there's no safety on a revolver right. or on a Glock or on a, on a Glock, there's no hammer. So little things like that, where anybody who's writing a story that's never used a gun before, isn't going to know that. And it's not, honestly, it's a, not a big deal. It's like, it's almost like a typo in a book, but if you're a gun person, you're like, Oh, this person, right. doesn't, you know, it, <laughs> all of a sudden they put down the book and it's like, a, I don't know why it's a, such a big foul for a lot of readers. Um, but you know, the, the firearm stuff is you can be as generic as you want to be. Um, but as soon as you start adding detail that isn't correct, then a lot of readers get upset. So just doing your homework, uh, double checking or having somebody, you know, if you know somebody that knows something about firearms or whatever, um, not to turn this into a promo, but I do have a little course on it as well. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you can you can certainly uh, avoid the the backlash from your readers um, just by doing a little bit of homework. And and the other thing though that can be fun but a little frustrating is that as you do a ton of research, there's this inclination to want to include that research in your book to explain right. things, and then your your editor's like. Nope, you get rid of this, get rid of this. It's slowing down the pace, you know, and you just kind of yeah. have to, it's like, okay, I did this. So I feel good about the fact that I know I'm not wrong, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't actually make it into the manuscript. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I think it's just about knowing you can do a lot of research, but knowing how much to put in, that's something that a lot of, a lot of writers struggle with. So yeah, that's a good point. Do you have any, any uh, tips for how to tell how much to put in? Um, well, I'm definitely not the, the right person for writing advice. I'm the <laughs> cop who helps writers. I'm uh, not the one who tries to pretend to, that's outside of my expertise. Right, um, right. I, I know Stephen King says, I think it's Stephen King who says, kill your darlings. Right. Yes. So, yeah. uh, that's, I, I will defer to his advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe some of too much research can qualify as some of your darlings. So, um, circling back to something you said before, you said that one of the things you can do on your podcast is tell them if a scenario is unrealistic, mm -hmm. how often do you get, how often do you have to say that? How often do you get unrealistic scenarios? Um, they tend to happen more in like a paranormal kind of story. And then it's like, well, knowing that that's your genre, we can totally get away with it. Um, right. or, uh, or a fantasy or a sci-fi or, um, you know, space opera kind of thing where there's a criminal justice element to it. Um, as long as your reader is expecting it to kind of deviate from the gritty realism that a lot of the the crime writing happens in, um, I think you'll be fine. There are a few things where um, I can't think of specific examples, but it will be story ideas that really came from um, just having an understanding of how the system works from watching too many mediocre cop shows, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I think this is what would happen. Um, and so you have a lot of tropey stuff, um, like the angry police captain who wants the arrest now, even if it's not the right guy. And, you know, all the stuff we've seen over and over again, it's just, you know, it, not only is it regurgitating, it's also um, not realistic. Uh, 
but it's when you have mainly it's when you have characters doing something that um goes i mean it's like the maverick who te- detective who breaks all the rules it's like no, we're not allowed to do that if we're breaking the rules <laughs> we're violating someone's rights if we're violating someone's rights we are breaking the law and so right. to be a great detective means you have to understand the system and, and the procedures and stuff to be able to do it flawlessly and quickly um so like getting a search warrant we don't just boot a door because we think the bad guy and his evidence are in there unless we can legal explain why um if it's oh it's inconvenient for my character to get a search warrant that's not an excuse um yeah being a great detective means i can get one in 15 minutes you know whether that's mm-hmm. you know through various means and it's not just oh i made a phone call and called in a favor it's i have the skill set to write one or tell one like explain the circumstances to a judge and get a telephonic warrant so it's the skill sets that get me um to the point and i'm using me as a like your as a um, an avatar for your character here um but to be great at their job means playing within the rules and being the most efficient no no different than any other sport right you're not breaking the rules in cheating you're you're playing the game so well that you can't um that you're better than everyone else on the field so i think that's one of the key things so you can't have your cops going out there breaking the law and you know, justifying it to catch the bad guy, where in reality, if you do that, your entire case is going down the toilet and that person's going to get set free. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a good point too, because you can actually use that as a point of character development or even a point of conflict rather than avoiding it, which would be unrealistic anyway. Yeah, yeah, realistically, if you did that stuff and you include it, you're like, I'm going to do this anyway and see what happens with my characters, (laughs) your character won't be a detective much longer. So even if, you know, if they don't get prosecuted, they'll be back to pushing a black and white on patrol and uh, (laughs) like, yeah, we, this is not how we investigate crime. So you can go be a dare officer or something. I mean, dare officers are great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that, but um, that's not an important role, but it's, uh, you know, you're either um, have the skill sets to be a detective or you don't. Right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So how many, I don't know if you know numbers, but how many um, different writers have you had writing into you about this stuff? Like, can you get a gauge on how many people are writing crime fiction right now, you know? Oh, man. A lot. <laughs> so I started with the blog in 2015. Uh, I'm hitting four years now on the podcast this month. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, uh, definitely hundreds. Um, I have I've got a bookshelf behind me that has a bunch of books that I've, I've helped on. Um, and I've helped on a bunch of, uh, a bunch of TV shows. Uh, and, and so when you're working with a TV show, you're dealing with the writer's room. So it's, you know, you're dealing with five writers, not just, um, not just right. one. Uh, so yeah, I, I will be conservative and say dozens. Um, but re- <laughs> I, I know it's well over a hundred, if not two or three. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, and I mean, it's such, it's known for being such a high selling genre. It's like romance is kind of the top and then usually crime and mystery is right below that. So why do you think that this is something that's so high selling that so many people like to read about? Well, again, stealing from smarter minds than me when it comes to storytelling, (laughs) you know, conflict drives story and and criminal justice is inherently a conflict, right? You have a prosecution and you have a defense, you have a victim and a suspect, and then you have the cops who are there to, um, you know, bring these guys to justice, the prosecutors that are there to, uh, well, to bring them to justice in the courtroom and make sure that they actually go to, um, 
go to jail, uh, go to prison. But really, I think it's the, the we are reinforcing the concept that good triumphs over evil. And it's something that we really, really want to believe in. And the more we watch the news, uh, the more we question whether that's really the case, um, especially mm -hmm. here in California, where nobody stays in jail. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I do think I mean, if anything, this is kind of my inner why as to why I like helping writers is because um, storytelling really is the reason I got into law enforcement. I hmm. did not have cops in my family or anything, but since I was little, I mean, it was too many episodes of, of chips and Miami vice as I mean, I'm dating myself here, but you know, <laughs> uh, watching too many TV shows, but then also reading books. Like I remember reading silence of the lambs. I think it came out in like 88, 89. And so I was in, um, like just that summer between junior high and high school or something like that. And it was the first time I read a thriller like an adult thriller my dad gave it to me um in like one sitting i mean i read wow. it i stayed up through the night next thing you know it's five o'clock in the morning and i'm finishing this book and i'm falling asleep and i'm just like man i want to catch serial killers you know yeah um so it so not only does it reinforce the you know good triumph over evil but it mm -hmm. also inspires that next generation to consider going into making this their career of mm. not writing, but going into law enforcement and, and actually right. dedicating their lives to making a difference. Um, and, and we need the right kind of people going into law enforcement. We don't need right. people that, you know, just want to do it because they want the power and the badge and the gun and stuff. It's like, we want the people who actually want to make a difference in the world and, and put the people that really need to go away, away yeah. and have that dedication. And I think um, the only way for us to inspire the next generation, especially with law enforcement being under attack uh, in this country, um, mm -hmm. is really to inspire them through story. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's great. Um, yeah, and I think I, just to add something to it, I think honestly that there's sort of a um, a framework because of the law enforcement aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You know, just within the laws, within courtroom TV and things like that, and we know that our brains search for patterns. And it makes us feel safe. So even though we can get really twisty serial killer stories, you know, at the same time, knowing there's cops investigating it, knowing there's laws they have to go by and kind of knowing that probably by the end of the story, we'll get some sense of justice. I think that that actually draws in a lot of people. I mean, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, look at Law and Order, every single episode. I mean, they have different storylines, but every episode is very formulaic, right? You right. know who's going to be doing what at what point, you know, you can almost time it. Um, but no, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. That that pattern. Uh, and then when you disrupt that pattern, it, it shakes you awake. And and so right. you do you still do have the ability to kind of shake things up every once in a while. Um, mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. And and that whole process of especially a whodunit, right? We have the unknown. We have to go through that whole process of piecing clues together. Ultimately, we find who it is. Uh, you know, we have the, you know, the all is lost moment where it's like we have no clues left. This is going to be a cold case. How are we going to find our bad guy? And then luck breaks our way or something happens. And then now the chase okay. is on. You know, it really does follow the traditional three act story structure or four uh -huh. act story structure. So um, it, it kind of writes itself to a certain extent. So, yeah, yeah definitely. For sure. For sure. OK, so I got to ask you this. Have you ever actually done a serial killer case that you worked on? I have not. I've worked high profile cases, but never a serial killer. Fortunately for us, there are far more serial killers in fiction than there are in real life. So yeah, I, uh, I have 
no, I have not. I've, I'm very happy that I haven't had to. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a case that really stands out to you that you worked that was either really hard or really rewarding or anything like that? Uh, because I still work in law enforcement, I don't really give away clues as to where I work. I just keep it kind of general. Um, so right, one day right. I may, I may uh, reveal that. There is one case in particular that I was involved in pretty significantly um, that I have used to kind of um, as a, so I teach a, a course where, you know, you basically partner with me as a homicide detective and we work this homicide case together. And it's loosely based upon a real case that I work that was pretty, okay pretty interesting. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm not going to say anything more than that. Cause I don't want to give it yeah, away, yeah. but, um, but yeah, no, I've definitely had, I've definitely had, um, significant cases and the rewarding ones are the ones where we sought justice. We got justice. And I was sitting in the courtroom with the family, um, when the sentence came down for the person who mm -hmm. took their loved one away. And that those are moments that you'll never forget. Right. Right. So what would you say is the percentage of cases where that was the the result, the result was good, as opposed to ones that either you didn't solve or you just for whatever reason weren't able to achieve justice? Um, we have a well, it really depends on where you work as far as what your solvability rate is like. Um, there are few cases that you will necessarily see all the way to the point where you're sitting there at sentencing watching it happen the vast majority right. of cases are ones that are you know there's a plea bargain so mm -hmm. it may be something where um here in california we still have the death penalty on the books so our prosecutor may allege um death you know have the death penalty on the table and they'll say hey if you plead to first degree murder with life without parole we'll spare you your life we'll take death penalty off the table especially when we have overwhelming evidence to be able to you know there's no way this right. guy is going to get off um so a lot of times it's kind of with the end is kind of without fanfare right it's it's uh you know a deal was made he's going away and that's it um and the other thing though is you know even when we have this triumphant win in court it's tempered by the fact that this all came about because somebody lost the loved one and so it's not like high fives, we're going drinking, we did a great job. It's just like, you know, we're closing a book on a very, very sad or closing, closing the book on a very sad story. So yeah, there's, um, so those are kind of few and far between as far as it going all the way to jury trial and sentencing and that kind of thing. Um, but we do have, uh, where I work, at least we have a really high solvability percentage. And a lot of that has to do with being able to throw a lot of detectives at a case in the first 48 hours. And mm -hmm. if you're working in a big city where you just are completely, you know, if you're working in like one of the major cities that has like 300 homicides a year, that's almost one a day. There's mm -hmm. no way that you can put 20 detectives on a case for 48 hours right. or 72 right. or a week or something like that. And so when you don't have that kind of resource, like you do in say the suburbs where, you know, of a decent sized department, uh, then your solvability rate is going to go down because it's just one or two detectives working in this case. And day after tomorrow, they're going to get another one. Um, so you know, really where you work kind of dictates uh, more so yeah. than, I mean, you have to have tenacity and, and, you know, be serious about your job, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, having, having resources really, really helps when it comes to um, 
you know, you basically have this gigantic to-do list. And when you accomplish something, it normally leads to more things on your to-do list, right? We interviewed <laughs> this person and now we have this whole new avenue to investigate. Um, but when you have, you know, 15 partners where, you know, each one can get a lot of times they're paired up, but it's mm -hmm. teams, you know, seven teams of detectives that can go out and do all of these things, get these things done all at the same time. It's a huge difference than right. just having a hundred things to do. And it's me and my partner. Yeah. Um, no, that's really interesting because I don't think very many people think about that. We, like you said, we know about partners, but I don't, I don't know that I've read very many books where they have teams of detectives all working at the same time. So that's fairly common for smaller departments and things. Yeah. Yeah, because it may be, um, you know, especially in the smaller communities where, uh, or not necessarily physically smaller, like by population, but ones where it's a lower crime rate. And this is one right. of two or three homicides they may get in an entire year. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I, I can put down my eBay fraud case where the guy didn't send his laptop, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, I can go drop that and work on uh, this homicide homicide case for the next week. Um, and, and that will significantly improve the odds that you're going to solve that case. Interesting. Interesting. I really like that. Um, all right. My next question is a little bit silly, but um, I'm interested in the course you teach. And you were saying that, you know, people who take it, they kind of partner with you to solve a crime. I've, because I've always been into crime, I've, I've done certain games and certain apps that are like CSI games where you go in and they try to get you to solve the crime. And to me, they're always so juvenile. Like they, they just don't present enough of a challenge for me because I think I'm too in the know about it in order for those to really work for me. So, I mean, how does your course stack up against that? Do people find it really challenging or? Uh, they find it more fascinating and interesting and fun. Um, okay. not so, uh, ironically, I was actually interviewed for, uh, I've been a lifelong gamer myself. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely have the, uh, the background of, of playing role-playing games when I was a kid. And of course, video games as well. And so I was actually interviewed about detective games for one of the game, like the online game magazines a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of the detective style games are really about uh, deductive reasoning and mm -hmm. um, logic and stuff like that, where it's more puzzle based versus the reality of how we work cases. And so right. um, in the course, I mean, I literally do have a set of dice on my, you know, when, when the people in the class come up with ideas, it's like, we'll do probability roles and that kind of stuff. So to a certain extent, it is like a role-playing game. Um, but it really is about brainstorming our, our like present with a set of facts, like a body is found. And then it's, what do we need to accomplish? Where are we going to go? And so kind of brainstorming our to-do list and then prioritizing it, um, maybe with a little bit of dice rolling to figure out the probability of it happening right away or not. Um, but, you know, we just kind of go through the entire decision-making process at each step and really putting the student in that role of you know, whether you're doing it as the world creator or you're doing it um, kind of as your character of what would my character do at this point? What what seems to make the most sense given the information I have at hand and what do I need to do in which order? Um, you know, do I go attend an autopsy or go, do I go interview this key witness or, you know, like which is the most important thing for us to do right now? Um, so that's kind of how this whole um, investigation plays out of, figuring out the priorities and it, you know, and also learning what we do at each step. So right. uh, it's not like, okay, now that we're at this stage, these are the things we're going to do. I don't, 
come up with that. I let the students kind of, what else can we do? What else can we do? And there might be some prompting. Um, yeah. I, I spent uh, 12 years teaching as an adjunct college faculty member. So I, I definitely have my teacher hat on more than my mm-hmm. uh, detective hat when I do these. Um, but it's really about you know, getting the chance to be in that critical thinking mode as the detective and kind of trying to come up with everything I can to figuring out how to solve this case, especially yeah. if um, you're lacking in evidence or witnesses or anything like that. Right. Yeah, that sounds, it sounds like it would be really valuable. I mean, because I teach writing, I kind of tend to, you know, push everything toward that, but I almost feel like that would be valuable just in terms of even creating your story, creating your scenes putting mm-hmm. yourself into the character's shoes and saying, what's the most logical thing that would happen next or probable thing or, you know, whatever. So I, I bet that even helps them in their writing, even if they don't know it, you know? Yeah. I've, I've had students say like, is there any way we can do it again? Or can we do a different investigation? You know, so it's, <laughs> it's definitely um, I've, I've had only positive feedback. So that's been, yeah. it's been fun. And I do look forward to, I mean, it's, I really enjoy uh, teaching this course because everyone who shows up is, is active and interested and they're wanting to have fun rather than um, my typical college student who's taking it because it's a general ed course and they really don't care. Right. You know? So um, we have, we have, a lot of fun in that course. So yeah. Good. And, and do you teach it like over Zoom? Yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. six weeks, uh, six weeks of Zoom calls. Uh, so usually they're one hour sessions um, where you get an update on the case based upon what the class kind of decides upon. We, I call it a cohort. Um, so it's the same group of people every time. Um, and so what you guys have decided, we find out what, what came to fruition as a result of that from the previous week. And then, um, you know, with that update, we then go back to, okay, what are we going to do next? Where's this going to go? Um, so that's over zoom. And then separate from that, uh, every week, we also have a one hour office hours call. So, uh, it's, you know, you're, you're still a writer, you're still doing your stories and you still have questions. And so it's a chance for us to do in-depth Q and a, uh, more so than the podcast. It's, um, you know, we'll get on Google together and, and find okay. the actual answers and, and stuff that you need answers to working on and stuff. Uh, and then, uh, once the six weeks ends, uh, you then have access to alumni, uh, office hours. So at least once a month, Um, All of the former students are able to come back to an office hours call. I try to make it more than once a month, but at the very least, it's once a month where um, and it's more than an hour. Um, But you can get back on there and ask questions. So even if it's a year or two later and you're on your third or fifth or seventh book and it's like, ah, I have this question I need an answer to, you know that there's always a call coming up that you can jump on and get that question answered. Um, But it's also a bit of a getting the band back together where all the students are like, hey, good to see you. I mean, there's some been some real friendships and uh, networking that have developed out of it. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like it's lots of fun. Um, so uh, we're kind of getting to where we're going to wrap up here. Is there anything else you want, you know, the listeners to know or any advice you have to dispense to anybody, crime writers, regular writers, other genres, anything? Don't be intimidated. You can absolutely write uh, criminal, uh, like crime fiction or, or criminal police procedure um it's you don't have to be michael connelly working the crime beat at la times or (laughs) or joseph wumbaugh working for you know the police department so um yeah just 
get get writing and um you know if you have questions you can send them to me at the podcast uh writersdetective.com forward slash podcast is where you can su submit a question uh and i'm in exchange for the question i'm happy to uh list your author website as well to try to direct listeners there um and then you know you can also learn about courses that i teach and that kind of stuff also at writers detective Great, great. And yes, I will say I have submitted a few questions. So it's always fun to get them answered on the podcast. It's always very enlightening. So thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much it. for being here and for all you do. You, you really serve authors very, very well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, sure thing. And good luck with everything. Likewise. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, can you do me a solid and share it with other authors you think might benefit from it? Remember, the rising tide lifts all boats. Also, if you haven't yet, would you be willing to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's the only way for me to know that you're enjoying the podcast and it helps Apple recommend it to other authors like you who might benefit from it. Finally, if you haven't already, hop over and join the prolific author community on Facebook. Inside, authors network, ask questions, and I often do teaching via Facebook Lives. Thank you so much for listening today. Happy story crafting this week. And remember, there is always a market for awesome.